Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Uh, Wait, what, what gesture did I just make? He jacked off with both hands. Real quick blast. That's accurate. <laughs> Well, that makes it sound like he was jacking off one dick with two hands. It looked more to me like he was jacking off two dicks with two or hands. Both ends. Of, well, depends on how long because he was like opposite directions. Oh, shit. It. He could have been. I didn't like, think about that. He could have been yeah. making it real taut in the center and loose at the ends. <laughs> like, like a, you know, when you put like a sock around a long, uh, you don't, I'm trying to come up with a, with a similar. This intro was my. <laughs> and that you went to your lowest that and has still no found meaning. it performative. Oh, we're going to have to mute that out, hey. Cody, because you're not allowed to say the oh, name of the, uh, the movie. <laughs> Are we Harry, not? Harry got, we're not, a, we're no, not allowed. No, I got in a lot of trouble for Harry that the other ass, day. Ass oh, yeah, that's right. Did that. Okay, so I'm putting it 30 seconds. Cody <laughs> said the name of the movie because that's what we talk about here on Try Love, the literal roundtable podcast. Yeah about movies we saw or people we met or things we did. I forget the next one that I come up with uh, sequentially and seasonally at the try at or with or through the trial on cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm all Cody did the jacking off thing again. And I'm all a Twitter. Uh, you can't just say I did. Right? Oh, Jason. Oh, Jason's got a gun. Jason. No, <laughs> so you can't just say things. Take advantage of the and, audio only and that format. Means Cody is going to die. If I shoot, um, <sighs> it's Christmas. Speaking of a Twitter, uh, you can find me. Uh, I'm Jason Daphnis. I want to hold a mirror up to life. You can find me on that, a uh, Twitter at Nintendo. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH with a little sex in it. Wow, I'm all at Twitter now. <laughs> uh, you can find me on a Twitter at uh, Shiitake Harry. My name's Harry Mack, and I've never been too sympathetic to the caricaturing of the poor and the needy. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to be yours. I knew that was going to be Harry's. All right. Uh, today's film is playing as part of the um, uh, prototypes for the rom-com series. I believe it's one of the final in the series. It will end at the end of December 2022. Um, check the rest of them out if you can, or you know, go back in the feed. We've covered, I think, all of them so far uh, in lieu of the Three Colors trilogy, which has also been playing. I don't know what I'm describing movies we haven't covered, um, but you should check it out at trilon.org. Tickets to those movies and many others are already available for early 2023. You should check them out. Uh, stay tuned to this feed for the Golden Berries. Uh, before the end of the year, hopefully we'll have that out. Um, all the best and brightest berries of 2022 coming at you hot. And an announcement of what the next year is going to be. I don't know if we've even decided what that's going to be. This year was the year of the little freak, if anybody remembers. Um, but keep an eye on your feed for what we end up coming up with for 2023. Uh, for right now, uh, in the absence of the voice everybody knows and loves, Loves, uh, that monotone baritone himself um we have uh the patented aaron grossman summary under license exclusive license uh from uh aaron grossman enterprises um for the film that we're talking about today which is sullivan's travels it is a 1941 dramedy directed by preston sturges and starring joel mccray and veronica lake everybody stop me if i say anything wrong here because i just put this together by myself i totally aaron grossman did and just made shit up um after building his career on lighthearted comedies 
Hollywood director John L. Sullivan wants to tell the story of the struggles of modern poverty, of the poor and downtrodden in America, and in his search for authenticity, he sets out to live among the homeless. His problem is that he cannot escape the elitist entourage with a vested interest in his safety and success. When he finally shakes them in Las Vegas, he meets the girl, literally only known as the girl in the credits, a woman closer to poverty, uh, closer to the poverty line than Sullivan with an appetite for adventure. Uh, when the, with the girl in tow, Sullivan continues his hobo cosplay until he is, through a series of com- convoluted events, arrested for his own murder and joins a chain gang. Stripped of much of his privilege, Sullivan soon comes to appreciate the value of lighthearted of the lighthearted entertainment that he used to create, both as a salve for the harsh rea- oh sorry, just as a salve for the harsh realities of living in America's lowest castes. I don't know if that's accurate, but there's more information about the movie that I should share because it's kind of an interesting story. Sullivan's Travels is noted for both its uh, effectively escapist comedy and resonant message uh, about the sincerity and value of lighthearted entertainment. Uh, TCM once said that in his autobiography, which I did not read, Preston Surges wrote that Sullivan's Travels was a reaction to the preaching he found in other comedy films, which, quote from his autobiography, seemed to have abandoned the fun in favor of the message, which yeah uh the movie was well received at the time of its release and has come to appear on afi's list of 100 years 100 movies it's in the national film registry and is finally remembered as the movie that generated the title oh brother where art thou a fictional novel in the in the world of the movie which uh joel and ethan cohen famously uh, would use as uh the name of their 2000 comedy epic um, the movie starts with the uh, uh, benediction of uh, to the memory of those who made us laugh the motley mountebanks the clowns, the buffoons in all times and in all nations whose efforts have lightened our burden a little. This picture is affectionately dedicated. Uh, how does that ring guys and, uh, and Cody, what did you, what did you make of the movie? Guys and Cody. I don't know. I just wanted to open up the floor. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> a, ladies, it's like a ladies and germs sort Harry of thing. Always. Oh, or, yeah. Sorry, not Harry. Aaron always throws it to me. He's like, that's all I got Jason. And he thinks that I just have something to say about what he said. So I don't know. I figured I'd put somebody on the spot. No, that's fair. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll give it a try. I'll be the Jason in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think ultimately this is a movie where, like, all the all the pieces are there for this to be a movie that I, I, I like my time with this movie. It's my second time seeing this movie, and the fact that it is um, Sturgis, uh, like, th- there's um, a filmography that, especially during quarantine, and just more time to explore sort of like deeper cuts of things like he he made the palm beach story the year after this which is sort of um like more leaning into uh romantic comedy and literally the same year as sullivan's travels came out sturgis also put out the lady eve which i think i trend more toward for barbara stanwick reasons more for kind of um in the same vein of what you were talking about jason uh, abandoning fun for the message i guess lady eve maybe abandons message more for the fun and that's kind of what i like about it um like but perhaps potentially um and also barbara stanwick's in it um i i there's it's tough to not watch or it's tough to watch this movie and not as we usually bring up or, or always tend to bring up like watching things with a 2022 um, set of eyes. Uh, it's, I think it's that producer up top or whatever his role was or whatever his name was um, telling Sullivan up just like to his face, you know, you're like, you're never going to be able to understand the struggle, which is entirely accurate. And that's part of the big conclusion that this movie comes to at the end of it. Part of the conclusion that the the title character comes to at the, at the end of it. And then in the same breath, the producer um, kind of falls. Yeah. You're never going to be able to understand this, this disease, this plague upon society. So there, there is um, I think in, in all the ways that this movie 
trends toward uh, like a good direction. There's still um, it, it 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 it's not you know it doesn't square it 100. percent There's yeah. still a certain like misunderstanding or villainizing or like not able to able to get the, to the like systemic root of like well why like where does this all come from? Which again like not no one movie is going to be able to to like save the world. Um, but that is when the other time I watched this being in like fall 2020, like there were a lot of things fresh on my mind um, based on what the world was yeah. going through. But like it is, it does have those um, like romantic, uh, romantically comedic and comedically romantic sort of breadcrumbs in this. There's the fact that it is a tight, like 91 minutes and it, it plays out with this recurring joke of, like you said, in your, in your um, Daphnis pags, uh, the, um, you know, the fact that he keeps being drawn back to Hollywood, keeps being drawn back to his wealth. And it plays out kind of like a three act joke where just like he tries to get further away, but he's not quite able to be successful with it. That in itself, I think is very, um, like very, it's like, it's fun and funny to watch. So like, again, overly overall enjoyable. There's probably some, some deeper, more granular things that we'll get into, but, um, that is, that is that is me taking on the Jason role of being handed it off to it, right after the, looks, the pegs. It looks and so just good like, on you. These yeah. are, oh, stop it! Can I? Uh, but let, let's hear what your mustache has to say. Yeah, before actually you exit Jason mode, can I hear you say the word "squirt" just once? Uh, <clears throat> squirt. Thank you. Uh, that thank was, you. That wow, was Christmas the comes there. early. <laughs> Squirtsmas comes early. Uh, thank you, Cody, for taking on the Jason Mantle for that. Uh, I, I started by thinking, like, I wanted to add some flavor to that mention you made of, um, I, be, I believe it's one of his, like, <laughs> very pointedly, one of his actual, like, manservants who explains to him that poverty is, uh, like, not the absence of wealth. It is more like an active positive disease sort of thing. Uh, and his manservant is explaining that to him while also describing, like, sort of the iniquity of the poor and stuff. It's, it's obviously very mixed, but I think it's just, like, important to mention that that's not just somebody else in the scene. It's, like, somebody who works for him, tending to him day and night, hand and foot, making sure that his every need is covered. And he's having to explain to him that, sir, this isn't a costume. Like, uh, he, I, I am closer to like, because I make less money than you essentially is the subtext. I get to say these things about the lower class, even though I'm still like a butler in an essential Hollywood mansion. Um, I think that's really important flavor there. Uh, and your, uh, l- larger points about like when the movie does and doesn't stick the, 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 I guess the message that it wants is like at a core structure, the concept of the guy trying to find what he's looking for and failing at every turn, especially when it's so like almost nefarious in, in in its very spirit of what he wants out of the experience um and like its ability to like effectively counter that or effectively like have some parallel commentary running not always in lockstep but that core concept that core like road movie thing actually yeah somewhat entertaining it, it i think it works structurally as a movie the third act turn gets it felt a little shark jumpy to me at times. It was like, oh, here's now where he's going to get his comeuppance. It's just like, this was not really foreshadowed. This wasn't really set for in the rest of the narrative. Um, but I would agree that like at a core level, at a core like experience of watching it, fairly smooth, fairly fun. Uh, if you dig much further deep, which I imagine we're probably going to do on this podcast, get like you start to see little nits that can be easily picked and the little threads that sort of make the whole thing come undone at times. It's strong at times and then it turns around and it's shitty and it's, it's shitty and it's strong and it turns around and it's strong. I imagine, Harry, you've got a lot to say about what we've been uh, noodling on here too. 
Oh, yeah. I've got a ton of thoughts about this. I mean, I think that this movie is kind of fascinating, right? It's it's sort of fascinating in the way that, like, uh, I think we talked about this with uh, Cross 110th Street and a couple of the other, like, 1970s movies where, like, I don't know what happened. I mean, I do know what happened. It was Reaganomics and the rise of neoliberalism. But, like, even when America which has never been a particularly class conscious country and has always sort of really struggled with that. There was like something happened in 1980 that, that like really ruined class consciousness because they were making movies like this in the forties, right? It's like, this is a movie that gets a lot of things wrong, but it, it is smarter about class than most contemporary oh, movies yeah, are and like an intersectional uh, view of all that. Yeah. And at least interested in examining where, like what class is, where it comes from, why inequality is perpetrated by systems. Um, there are a couple of things that it, that it gets really right. Um, I agree with you, Jason. I don't love the third act of this movie. I don't love that this movie in general is like seven different movies. And I like maybe four of the movies a lot and three of the movies not very much at all. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I think that even in the third act, when it's sort of doing the serious turn that Preston Sturgis was so self-congratulatory about not doing in all of his sort of press about this movie, which is a whole other thing, uh, it it does this thing where it demonstrates why the sort of people that we've seen so beaten down throughout the movie are acting the way that they do, right? And it shows that it's because when Sullivan tries to act like Sullivan and he's not famous and sort of rich and insulated from consequences, it goes very, very badly for him in terms of like he gets physically beaten like four or five times almost immediately, right? <laughs> yeah. and it's just like, look, like it turns out that that poverty is not this sort of like this nebulous lack of something the way he thought in the first act, it is a positive force of like physical and mental trauma. Right. right? And disenfranchisement, like, it turns like out, an active yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and disenfranchisement in the most brutal, like violent possible sense, right? Where it's like, these are not people who simply lack something. There are people who are being ground down by a system that is actively trying to harm them. And I, I think that the movie does a pretty good job of depicting that. And it does a pretty good, like, I think it's really hard to argue with the ultimate arc of this movie, right? Like, I think that last scene where he's like, oh, I can't make, oh, brother, where art thou? I haven't suffered enough, right? His, like, realization that, like, oh, like, as a person of privilege, I am just categorically insulated from the world that these people inhabit in a way that I will never really understand it is like a pretty good, especially by 1941 standards, like a pretty good moral to take away. Um, one thing I don't love about it is that it gets there, right? But on the other hand, it still holds poverty as this sort of like mysterious, like miasma that is affecting yeah. the nation where, where it's like he, at one point he's talking and he's like, it just seems like there's some sort of like almost uh, mystical force that holds people where they are and won't let them rise in their station. And it's like, bro, like, yes, it's called capital. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not, it's not mystical. It's, it's economic <laughs> and it's pretty easy to like, identify um it's also funny that he's making anti-communist movies at the beginning of this or that's like one of his big things is he wants to be like yeah i want to be like a social hollywood director but i'm also making anti-communist movies it's like yeah that sounds about right um so yeah i think that like a lot of the things that this movie does it does really well right um in in terms of like it's really incisive look into what it's like for wealthy people to sort of um lampoon class issues or he's not trying to 
lampoon he's trying to critique but his mm-hmm. uh, attempts are so pathetic that um like you said jason he often literally can't help but return to hollywood which was one of my favorite metaphors of That's the entire bit. movie yeah. um but on the other hand i think that like especially ironically right when it takes this turn into um trying to be uh a little bit too i i don't know it felt like but the end of this movie was like watching the movie that uh, that Sullivan was trying to make throughout the movie. And I was like, I don't know, guys. Like, I think you can't, you kind of can't do both, right? Like, yeah. it kind of felt like the whole point of this movie was that it, Preston Sturgis himself can't make a movie like this. <laughs> and then he kind of tries to anyway, right? And like, I appreciate that, but it, it all felt a little bit self-congratulatory to me, where it was sort of like, I'm going to talk about how I can't make dramas because i'm too sort of insulated from all of that Mm -hmm. then i'm going to kind of make a drama and at the end of the drama the moral i'm going to take away is that i can't make a movie like right is that we need need more comedy and then we need more like accessible stuff right right especially that ending right where it's like at the end of the road like Sullivan gets to feel incredibly important about the little fucking comedies he's making, right? Like, yeah. He's like, well, it's all some people have got, and I'm going to give it to him, goddammit. And it's like, eh, I, I don't know. I mean, you could just give him your money, maybe. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or no, something that, like that. That's that's right in line with what, what I, like, with my experience of watching it. It What you're talking about when, um, let's see, I made a note specifically of it, because it, you, you mentioned his regard of poverty as like the lack of something as his, I forget the character's name, but his, his butler, basically. So one of his butlers, one of his butlers, Jesus Christ says of, uh, of it, of like his conception of poverty is like, you can't, like he tells him before he even like goes out and does it. He says, you can't do this. He's literally being fitted with tattered, uh, you know, suit coats and, uh, broken shoes and shitty pants. Like he's being outfitted by a professional tailor for this. And his manservant comes up to him and says, you can't do this, sir. It's not the you know uh, absence of wealth. It is the presence of of an evil of a of a poison unto society, um, and that makes his whole performance of poverty just like fall that much flatter. And like you do get the sense the first act, act and a half, two acts that the movie knows that like oh you're supposed to be seeing him as like fish out of water. He's supposed to be like you're supposed to recognize that he's not going to find success here, and then eventually it does turn around. I mean, it, I don't think it turns around on that message, but it tries to convey that there's some change in the character that he realizes oh this is actually how I can use my tools. The you know what I my have gift exactly like my what I have to contribute to these people quote unquote scare quotes to to poverty to like the lower class is like the gift of pure entertainment is the pure is the gift of like uh something that rhetorically does not need major significance it just needs to be able to resonate and it needs to be able to make people smile which again like cody and i were saying a wonderful message that i that i love to see conveyed it seems to wrap itself up in a lot of other stuff as well particularly like we were saying in the third act we keep scare quotes in the third act and i think that's going to be a really interesting part to talk about because that's where it starts to like try to get a little bit more intersectional um i'd like i i don't know about you guys i feel like by around the time that he has to join the chain gang again, because a, a hobo who stole his money has gotten run over by a, a, a train and he's sort of being uh, sought for his own murder sort of thing, uh, or sorry for a different crime. Um, he joins a chain gang. Uh, he like around that time is when I started to see the end of the movie coming into shape. And I'm like, Oh, well he's going to make a triumphant return to, to Hollywood. He's going to recognize that what he really needs to do is make the movies that like just resonate with the, with the, you know, quote unquote, the, the average man, the common man. Uh, and then I thought, is that, the- I was going to, I was going to say, by the way, like between Oh brother, where art thou and Barton Fink, is this the most influential movie on the Coen brothers? <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. Mm. What a seed, what a seed to plant. Let's pull that one up. Uh, I felt like by the time we, 
got there, the only way that the movie could have ended and left me like, oh, that's an interesting way that it could have ended. Or, oh, this is like, it's really following through with a surprising, you know, through line or narrative arc, or God forbid we have a message is if he went back to Hollywood and realized he was not the person for that and just made a brother where art thou. Like you just straight up went back right back to his old routine. Cause that's all that he like, it's not his space to invade. It's like, he is not him. Like he, he has nothing to offer these people. Uh, and he should just like continue on his arc. That, that like would have been the downer asked ending, but it's sort of the ending that would have surprised me. And I think, uh, an interesting, like maybe not, it wouldn't have made me enjoy the movie more, but I would have thought like if he gets rewarded, if his stint is rewarded in any way, then it's kind of a flat ending for me. No, I, Hey, I'll echo that. And in, I don't know, I I'll attempt to come at this. Cause I think this is an angle worth exploring the, the types of ways in which, the the comedic elements and dramatic elements are working together the ways in which they don't work together super well and the ways in which they like either or could have been benefited more from like i keep coming back to slapstick and just because i like sturgis has flaunted those sensibilities both within this movie and other movies probably um or in better ways than this movie showcases and like without just coming at it from the perspective of like armchair director and as I think Harry, you said I totally agree. The, the the overall arc of this movie is hard to dispute as far as like its success and like the, uh, I, I mean, just, like the the intent and goodness of its message. Just like the, the kind of various steps along the way, all the various types of movies this tries to be not necessarily coming through. Um, and I think back to the fact that um, I mean, Act One the scare quotes act one versus scare quotes act three. Uh, they they feel so different from one another and. Um, I don't know, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's not a good thing, but like act one is, is very, it's very slapsticky. Um, and, and I, I loved act one, even knowing full well, what the the blueprint of what this movie was going to be like this, this very privileged person was going to attempt to, to don, um, poverty. And like, we know from the beginning, everybody except him knows from the beginning that it, like, it's not gonna work, uh, basically. And the various sort of sight gags of him, uh, that like caravan chase where he gets in the, in the, um, what's it called? The whippet tank. Yeah, um, yeah. and he, and he, and he goes really fast and like everybody's going really fast and there's a lot of chaos in the truck from all the, the other privileged people trying to keep up with this guy who's just trying to get away from his wealth from Hollywood for just a little while. And the fact that he ends up literally just a, a single edit, we cut to him serving as like a manservant for this, uh, this household who is able to like take him on and house him. Um, and uh just like the the portrait of her the lady's dead husband the expressions changing like a lot of really <laughs> li- really great gags and or, like sight gags and uh, one of my um, favorites sorry to interrupt yeah. uh no, is just like it. when they they show the dead husband's portrait and then they just immediately match cut to him wearing the same suit that the <laughs> husband is wearing in the portrait like exactly the same clothes right no no totally and i mean I don't want to lose those moments at the same time thinking about the, the sort of <laughs> the inciting incident for act three that jumped the, sh- the shark sort of moment where all of these circumstances have, uh, you know, th- these decisions that these characters that Sullivan has made um, have led to him being mistaken for dead. And then he goes to jail. Like that is an inciting incident for your movie that it, it feels weird to have that as like an act three, um, 
fulcrum from which the For rest sure. of yeah. the the movie is is launched into. At the same time, I, I think the 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 road movie type aspects where he is on the road and he keeps being brought back, and we really feel the the physical weight that you know he's traveling to and from. Like I, I think the 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 visualizing of Hollywood and these various, you know, these, these vastly different looking spaces. Like, I, I think those are also really important um, to, I don't know, those geographic sort of variables floating into this. I particularly enjoyed those. So like, I don't know that I, I have no concrete, I guess, conclusion to draw from this, but I do feel like there's a, a slight mismatch somewhere. Um, whereas meanwhile, the, the sensibilities that are brought into this, they, they feel like as, it's, as it's been said, a handful of different movies that, that maybe feel good on their own. It's just the, what comes together feels like maybe the opposite of the sum of its parts. I, I don't know if that's too strong to say, um, Harry, what do you think? No, I really like that. Um, I have a lot of thoughts that, that you guys talking or kind of bringing into focus for me. First of all, I'm looking at your, um, um, it happened one night poster behind you, Cody. And I'm thinking about how like, that's the sort of movie that almost takes the opposite approach to this one in that I remember I, I had seen that movie for the first time at the trial on recently. And I remember discovering sort of when I realized that this was going to be the rest of the movie is these two just interacting on the buses and like getting along. I was like, Oh my God. Yes. Like I'm so excited for this, right? Like I'm along for the ride now. I can't wait to watch these two interact. Um, I had a similar reaction when he meets Veronica Lake in the diner, right? Like that's probably my favorite scene of the entire movie. And I was like, oh, awesome. Like now the movie can start and his interactions with Veronica Lake can be what the rest of the movie is, right? And this rom-com can kind of get up on its feet. Um, they really, really do Veronica Lake dirty. Uh, despite the fact that she is really phenomenal in this movie, she is like abandoned for almost the entire third act. Uh, most of or a lot of the second act is like a literal six and a half minute montage of them just doing the Sullivan's yeah, travels, yeah. which is like the actual content of the movie. And I kept being like, it felt like um, this is a weird thing, but it kind of felt like a Makoto Shinkai movie at that point where it's like, wait, you wait, know, in your an- name, anime director Makoto Shinkai is yeah, you, you know, in your name. name when uh when the two body swap and then there's a long montage about them growing accustomed yeah. to each other's lives and I, I like i love your name very much but every time i get to that scene i'm furious because i'm like no makoto shinkai that was the movie <laughs> no 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 like, you, you can can't feel just slipping between your fingers yeah don't skip past that and then like uh, the rest of that movie is about the meteor and stuff and it's fine but it but it's like why would you give up the like the premise of the film uh, in favor of doing all of this other stuff. That's kind of how I felt here too, right? It's like, I kind of just wanted to see him like lesson by lesson, sort of like almost um, paper moon style, like learning different sort of um, lessons from the road along with Veronica Lake, yeah. who is sort of his like infinitely patient, infinitely loving uh, girlfriend who is just so excited to be along for the ride. Yeah. Um, their dynamic really worked for me. Um I didn't really like when she wasn't on screen. Every time Veronica Lake wasn't on screen, I was asking, where's Veronica Lake, right? Um, And then the other thing that you brought up, Cody, a little bit, uh, we've been talking about the third act a lot, and I think that the more we talk about it, the, the place I fall with it, and maybe this is sort of grading on an unfair curve, especially for a movie, a Hollywood movie from 1941, I really like this movie's treatment of the issues that it, purports to combat, right? The issue of systemic poverty, the issue of depression, the is- of, of an economic depression, uh, the issue of 
systemic inequality, right? Um, it ends at a very weird place, right? Like it, it's like it's not quite that tweet that like oh like. I hate these uh, effects, but the causes, ooh, the causes are great. But it is like the man sort of like his conclusion has nothing to do with the fact that maybe perhaps in some world it is kind of weird that he has so much money, right? It's like instead it's just like, well, I'm finally like like the prodigal son returns and I can finally assume my rightful mantle and continue to make my comedic movies and making all of that money and giving it to the unwashed masses as everything should be, right? I think that like this movie ultimately defaults back to this sort of status quo where it's like, man, it sure sucks that poverty is real and that systemic inequality exists. And it sucks even more that that's just the way things are and the way they'll yeah. always be, right? I, like I, I keep thinking about this moment where uh, his sort of buddy in the chain gang is explaining to him that the warden of the chain gang is actually not that bad a guy because he lets him go to picture shows and he gave him chicken on Christmas or whatever um, and, and turkey on Thanksgiving. And, and he has to deal with some pretty bad hombres. And I was like, oh man, like this is a really tragic scene. Like this dude is so like institutionalized and broken by Stockholm syndrome and disenfranchisement that he's sort of like learned to love his captor or like learned to sort of like make his way and, and like, wow, how, how realistic and how sad, but like the movie never really challenges that. Right. Like, I don't think we ever see the warden on screen again after that. And so instead it's sort of like, well, like now you get a taste for how prison is and how prison needs to be. Right. And it's like, nah, dude, like prison does not need to be like that. It turns out. <laughs> so I, and again, like I'm not, like you, you all know I'm big red, but like I'm not asking for this movie to be like a literal sort of like Maoist treatise on communism and on anti capitalism. But there is something about the fact that, like, if you're going to be this self congratulatory about bringing up and addressing these problems, you famous comedy director Preston Sturges had better come to a better conclusion than. Anyway, now I'm going to keep making comedies and feeling really yeah. good about it and making lots and lots and lots of money. Oh my God, I have so much money, you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I mean, obviously the idea that the the creator, the creator, director of the film uh, slash writer, I guess, Sturges also wrote it. Um, mirroring the main character's journey is not, you know, new. I think it's pretty obvious in the movie, but like the fact that he addresses that uh, Sullivan addresses in the middle of the movie, I think it's on his way back out of Las Vegas in like a dining car. And he's describing, I think he uses the term gravity, like what keeps bringing him back to Hollywood, like keeping him in his station. It's like a reverse gravity though. Cause it's just lifting him up. Uh, well, reverse gravity, aggress gravity is the force, whatever. I'm no, uh, astronomer, um, or, uh, phys, phys, uh, phys, it's not physician. Geomancer. Um, geomancer. Uh, I'm no geomancer. Um, he like he very he makes it text that like for some reason I can't seem to fit in with the poors <laughs> and then later on it's like oh I, I know what I needed to do to fit in with the poors is to like continue making the things that that they enjoy it it feels like like it almost gets there it almost gets to a realization of like what does it say about you that you simply cannot be part of that world that you simply like cannot penetrate it in a in a like learning way that you cannot affect it that you can only be that you can only be outside of it that you can only be above it uh, no matter how hard you try what does that say about that and then it sort of just like pushes past that i feel in that like you were talking about that montage scene with with Sullivan and the girl uh and that 
if I remember, like I felt like I missed something, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that whole sequence ends and they decided to go back home after seeing, you know, like the, his shoes get lost and they spend the night in, uh, in a hostel or sorry, in a, uh, you know, a homeless shelter. And they have like these quote unquote horrible experiences that these people go through every single day. And then they just look in a garbage can, decide that they don't want to do it anymore. Say, I guess, visually decide that they've had enough yep. and head back home. I literally went back three times to make sure that there wasn't something they saw or like a more, and this feel, I feel like an idiot because like, what was it? I want like we went from there was a dead baby in that garbage can. Sorry, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty dark joke. It's pretty brutal. Um, they like it feels like that the scene where he's talking about gravity was like my emotional state for part for that part of that movie leading up to that uh, scene where they decide to go back home is like okay with that in mind I'm having a hard time get back getting back home that'll be in my mind I will consider that as a facet of my experience that I can't really fit in there and why and then I will decide to go home and then just be different in mindset completely about it um that like. I expected them to have more of a self-awareness to say, okay, I can't fit in with this world. I don't like, I can't find myself adapting to it. It won't adapt to me. It rejects me at every turn. It literally burps me back uh, into Hollywood every time I try to get back in there. And yet to still end up in a place where it's like, again, you sort of saw the end of the movie coming once you knew where it was going uh, in, you know, beginning of the second act ish. I, it, it feels like we, we had our, uh, our fun and wanted a little bit of the message too, or we had our message and wanted a little bit of fun too. It doesn't feel like great measure or great, um, I guess like a smoothness of transition from that tone, from tone to tone in this movie. It doesn't feel like it balances them super well. Uh, but again, the pieces that are there, like in the moment, pretty satisfying, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I think that it's, it's like very specifically that, um, that the whole, like gravity speech is a lot more straight than we assumed it would be maybe mm. looking at it with a 2022 lens right like the the conclusion that this movie seems to come to is that it is true that at this point the classes have become so stratified that there can be no shared mutual understanding between them they are inhabiting different universes what that means is that you should stay where you are in your class and do what you're good at do what the public seems to respond to because you will never understand that public anyway. And you might as well, like, it doesn't say get yours, right? But it, but it does say, like, assume that, like, what you're doing is good enough, right? And, like, there is something about the fact that, like, Sullivan is not only sort of, like, that is not only the conclusion he comes to, but he is so tremendously soothed by it. Right. It's like it's like, oh, I, I had this experience and now I, it's like Don Draper at the end of Mad Men. Right. Where it's like he comes out the other's end of the looking glass and he's like, how can I use all this to be a better salesman? Right. To be a better pitch man. And it's like that was your takeaway is like, oh, I'm going to use all of this to make myself feel better about the silly comedies that make me all my money. Right. And it's like, that was the only conclusion that he came to. It felt like to me. Um, and I, I don't know exactly how I would armchair direct my way out of that. But I think that something about the fact that Veronica Lake has a very little role um, kind of pisses me off too. Like when I saw that garbage can sequence, I kind of like saw it as like, oh, like this woman that he clearly loves is suffering terribly because of his like weird uh, posturing in immaturity. And like maybe, maybe framing it that way a little bit better would work where it was like, oh, like, I actually can help this person. I have resources to do that if I just wanted to stop sort of like pretending yeah. to do something that would be self-aggrandizing for me. Uh, but 
I don't know. I again, right? Like it's tough because like this was a Hollywood movie created by a Hollywood director um to comment on his legacy and career and sort of like the place that movies have in addressing inequalities and like I think that as a piss take, it kind of works pretty well because it's like, I definitely don't totally disagree with the end of this assertion, right? Where it's like, it turns out that especially Hollywood movies are not going to make a huge difference to anybody, right? It's like, that's unfortunately, right? And like, it it hurts me to admit this because 18-year-old Harry did not feel this way, but like art as an apparatus is not sufficient for rising to class consciousness right over right? change or, or let like alone, yeah to yeah to or, it, revolution let alone change right it's like it i would love if that were the case but it's pretty fundamentally not right like if anything people kind of like to see what they like to see right like this movie says and so like maybe in that world like they are saying something about not just this one character's journey but sort of like the rising to understanding of what hollywood is and can and should be right and maybe there's something to to make of all of that yeah i mean there might be on the other hand i i think what we're what we're all cir- circling around um and in like in very good ways is the fact that there's a very obvious ceiling for again a lot of reasons as to like what this movie can accomplish and unwilling uh, unwillingly or or not there's almost like a, a limit to the like the extent of the imagination that like feeds into into what we're seeing here like the the fact that um you know the the descent into descent is maybe the wrong word, but um, Sullivan uh, taking steps down and trying to achieve that understanding and trying to determine for himself, you know what what you know, what what causes, especially especially in the third act, you know what could cause somebody to want to steal my shoes? What could cause somebody to want to um, physically attack me? A lot of punches to the head in this movie as well. Like that's most of the violence is just like smacks in the noggin, um, which you hate to see, but you love to see. Um, it's like, what could cause people to do that? And then I, I eventually just through him, him uh experiencing that um you know for him him being part of a, a chain gang like he he finds himself punching somebody one day uh punching a, an, an authority member and you know it's like that beat is there even if like we maybe didn't do all of the right math to get there or like you know Sturgis not necessarily showing his work which again is potentially um you know due to the, just the low ceiling of what a hollywood film can do but also it's it's what everybody's been talking about just like it yeah he's aware that he doesn't have the understanding but uh, to you know bring this full circle but is he aware of the awareness that he should be having and that maybe he should have like not been aware of that in the first place you know you get you get lost in in um and all those twisty turnies and you know by the end it, it, the the extent of again the extent of the imagination the, our our greatest salvation you know the ideal haven that um the the common denominator that brings everybody together the fact that it's uh one church and two disney's pluto the dog you know it it shows it shows what we're working with um 1941 etc cetera, etc cetera. but um yeah i don't know ultimately what we would all want and what would be better um and arguably i think is a more aggressive awareness of that lack of imagination or just like 
a this is the ceiling that is here. This is the staircase that we that we easily descend. Um, it could easily descend if we wanted if we actually wanted as the Hollywood elite to get a better understanding of what is going on here. We just choose to not go down that staircase, um, or like we go down that staircase but leave the door open to like go back upstairs whenever it whenever it is fit for us. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's Hey, Sullivan, in the end, he did some travels. And um, in that case, the, uh, the the title is accurate. And I can't fault the movie for that. Harry, can you? Sullivan's Travels is a land of contrasts. Um, I, I'm i glad you brought up the railroad worker scene because that was one of the more trenchant insights I think that this movie had on class stratification, right? Where like, I think that especially when he picks up that rock and he beats the railroad worker with it pretty fucking severely, which is kind of wild um one of many uh traumatic brain injuries that is sustained through the course of this movie as you noted cody um i i I think that that is like another really pretty good demonstration of just how categorically different um sullivan is from the sort of like people he's been purporting to sort of mimic just this idea that like his rage his reaction his indignance at mistreatment is itself a tremendous privilege that people don't have because the only reason he gets so offended he gets so outraged is because he thinks he deserves better than to be treated that way because he's never been treated that way before right and so it's sort of like like I like this idea that he has to internalize like what would it be like if people actually didn't know who you were for the first time in your life and like if you had to deal with being treated the way other people are and even sort of like I think that this movie ultimately gets to a place where it's like it if it has a most trenchant sort of commentary on class and and even uh race uh, it's that uh there is something about like the the treatment of the people who are beneath you is a big part of why these systems are perpetuated. These people are treated as subhuman, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and I think, you know, no, I, I just want to again add color to that. Like, consider that there is a not insignificant plot point where he gets to steal his own car with impunity in this movie, where like that is a feature of very like then modern privilege that you know, he might be driven to do were he actually a, a member of the lower class. If he actually were suffering from poverty that he just is able to perform with impunity uh, as, as somebody who like has that safety net. It's his, it's his own car, et cetera. Like there's no real suspicion. And then like, as soon as you say he is treated as somebody lower than he believes he should be treated as that's when he sort of break, that is the break in the character for him. Uh, that's, you know, something that he does that's outside of his own character. Like he's not naturalized to that perspective. Right. And it, it's something that somebody who had actually sort of endured the injustices that he is being exposed to for the first time would have been more inured to. Yes. But like he doesn't he can't even affect that. Right. Like it's it's outrageous to him that anybody would treat him this way. And everybody else is sort of looking at him like, yeah, welcome. Like it's it's Wednesday. Exactly. You know, yeah. like we've been dealing with this all along. Um uh, I think that a, a really good way to sort of illustrate both the triumphs and shortcomings of this movie are maybe that that great scene with the in the black church at the end of the movie, which um, it should be noted the secretary of the NAACP at the time, Walter White, which that's that was his name was Walter White, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Um, actually, wrote Sturgis to congratulate him for the depiction of uh, black Americans in that scene he was like yeah i thought it was really dignified and Mm -hmm. um i was so glad that we weren't treated as a punchline and we are in fact sort of like the moral 
epicenter of the movie. And like, that's true, right? Like, I think that like that probably was groundbreaking for 1941. And then in 2022, it's a little bit on the nose, right? Like, at least for me, it was. It was a little bit like, okay, like this is a pretty self-congratulatory uh, director's movie using black people to sort of like congratulate himself about how well he gets it now. Like the the preacher, the black preacher has a very extended speech about tolerance and humanity done in the style of like a black preacher, but like it was written by Preston Sturgis. <laughs> and so, I mean, again, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it, maybe that's grading on an unfair curve. Maybe this movie really was great for its time. Um, here, it's just sort of like a depiction of the, the, I think Cody, you referred to as like the limits of the imagination of this movie and it is like that's a pretty good way to put it right it's just like this is not a radical movie it's a hollywood movie um it's a hollywood movie about hollywood movies and about hollywood directors and it's sort of like trying to figure out its place in all of that um for better and for worse Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well it's like it's like you're saying it's it's on the nose not just because of like how we're looking back at it in, in 2021 but or sorry 2022 jesus but um it's because like, yeah, where, where in 1941 cinema, where are you going to find a picture of like, I guess a group of people that he could reasonably come into contact with who will both have, uh, who will have like an understanding of what it is like to be vilified, exploited, rejected in modern society, except black Americans in 1941. Like it's a very, it's very much like, I, I won't say easy because like yeah, for the time it was fairly progressive. And like you said, it was like hailed as an element of representation. That's not, you know, just for punchline or throw away, like pretty important to the movie and with significant screen time. Um, and like as a, as a scene setter, uh, but where else are you going to find that in a, like a community of people, except like this is unfortunately pretty good shorthand for people who like have that perspective that, uh, Sturgis is, is or sorry, not Sturgis that Sullivan is, is looking for like at that time, he's pretty broken down. He's not feeling himself. He's in a chain gang looking for a way out. But it, I think it's pretty important that in that scene is when they're watching that, like, uh, Cody was saying that cartoon and, uh, he starts laughing and he turns to his friend, basically the Felix Bressert character. No, that's the doctor. Sorry. Felix Bressert is spiritually in this movie. Uh, he was not in this movie, but he's seen this movie as a doctor, but, um, he turns to his uh, neighbor in the chain gang and says, um, like, am I laughing? Like, do you see me laughing? And then he starts like uh, busting a gut laughing. And it's like, it is that it's in that scene where he like has, uh, like he's realizing that it's not the movies. I mean, it's late, but it's not the movies that are the problem. It's like his uh, elitist assumptions about the lower class and why they come to cinema and why they, you know, want to see, like he figured he would make over the art though, because it speaks to those struggles. And that's not really why these, you know, people, I suppose, end up in front of a movie, uh, whether it's, people who, you know, have been uh, historically downtrodden and killed and vilified and rejected, or if it's, you know, people in a chain gang who are exploited and imprisoned and, you know, made to labor for the rest of their lives uh, unjustly. It's like that, excuse me, that one scene has a lot of uh, weight. There's a lot of like, even just the imagery of them, uh, just like their chains rattling and the uh, churchgoers singing, uh, you know, a sort of a welcoming hymn in the background, uh, let my people go. It really, like, you're right, it is incredibly on the nose. It's weirdly one of the more it, effective parts of the act, effective works, and affecting. Right? Yeah. I, no, I was very affected by that scene, right? Like, I think it's powerful, especially like, yeah, they're literally singing like about yeah. like the Israelites, right? Like <laughs> let my people go. And uh, it's like pretty intersectionally powerful, yeah. right? Especially this idea that like, 
I again, I think that there is like a motif of treatment running through this movie where it's like like people sort of get to be the people that we treat them as, right? And it's like the reason why impoverished people um have to sort of like or behave that way to the outside eyes because they've been treated like subhumans their entire lives, right? And there is this moment where like everybody like sits down together and they get to feel human again and they bond over laughing and then they're all equals in that moment, right? And it's like I like I think that like, you know, props to Preston Sturgis, like a lot is wrong with this movie, but that like we said at the beginning, like it's hard not to like give them that this yeah. one. Right. I, it's like that was a pretty good takeaway. I almost do um, like almost do congratulate Preston Sturges on finding a place for a scene like that in this movie, because I did not expect that to be where this movie went after he's uh, imprisoned. You know, like it, it, there's a few convoluted little plot twists like you can't remember his name, like he's trying to like he he, he performed like he's he's uh robbed and then the person who robbed him is run over and they assume it's him so a, a few like reaches like we've been mentioning or i guess i brought up yeah. and Cody commented on the the jumping of the shark to get there but in that scene yeah like exemplary i think of like the message it's actually trying to get across it does feel like we've sort of pulled the comedy and the message apart in ways and maybe that's part of his commentary is that they don't need to be one and the same thing and they don't need to like override each other maybe if we're getting really head-ass 2022 about it but it i i i wish we had more of that i suppose i wish like for as compressed as that segment is into like a later part of the third act i wish we had had more with that or more time, maybe more conversation between that group of people in the church and, you know, uh, and Sullivan himself, or even just like the chain gang. And I, I don't know, it, it felt a little more rich and ripe than, than they uh, treated it as. Or just like, uh, I don't know. I mean, again, like I know the, the movie is sort of about why this scene didn't happen. So I guess I can't fault him too much, but like the actual impoverished people in this movie are so voiceless. <laughs> Right. Like, like Veronica Lake is maybe their stand in and she is uh, not really yeah, yeah. among them. Uh, and it's like, I would have loved to have seen like any point of view expressed by the people he's actually like purporting to learn about. Right. Mm-hmm, like it mm-hmm. just maybe sort of like even being like he could ask somebody like I was fully expecting there would be a scene where he was like, hey, what about like he's in the theater, right, with like the chain gang. And he's like, what about like if I did a movie that was about us? Right. Like, what if I did a movie that was like that was like really trying to like sort of say something and the guy could have just been like, why would I want to watch something like that? I have been working for 18 hours. I yeah, like that sounds awful. Uh, I would like to watch Pluto the dog um, try to get his way out of fly traps, please. Right. And like that would be like at least then it would be like, oh, I get it. Like he's not condescending to these people. That's just like what they want, right? Like I just, the, the movie itself, because it never sort of depicts, like I, I kept waiting for a moment where the movie stops being condescending. Um, and it kind of never came, right? Uh, it sort of, again, treats poverty as like this mysterious thing, which sort of like lets us uh, pretend in the sort of like great illusionary American sense that like maybe impoverished people are dumber than people who aren't impoverished, right? Like, I don't think the movie really ever answers that, at least adequately for my own um, needs or something. 
No, I think that's a good point. And I mean, going back to the the montage of um, Sullivan and uh, what is she the girl, um, the capital G girl, like figuring that stuff out. Like if you're talking about giving voices to the voiceless, that would be the sequence when they would ideally be doing that instead of it being a five minute silent montage uh, not silent but like set to music um voiceless montage set to to music you know stretch it out let those sequences digest have them actually like yet yeah, talking to these people who are not in you know in a, an impoverished state as a form of vacation um it, it, like typically you see i mean that's the uh, because uh, i've I, I read one screenwriting book i mean that's the sort of like fun in games montage that you'd expect to see after they've got like things figured out and they're like they're not actively learning something like it's during a, a like a, a moment of reprieve maybe they've gone back to you know hollywood land and they're um uh, getting bags of money together to to give to people who actually need it and are like basking in their success and having finally defeated capitalism <laughs> and poverty um instead of them like oh this is the learning sequence it's going to be silent it's going to be set to music um granted it's like a nice piece of silent storytelling filmmaking where you can see quite clearly and plainly like what they are learning it's just yeah like it's not only is it not being voiced by the people who could appropriately provide those lessons it's not voiced by anybody yeah um even the sort of reciprocal understanding from uh from sullivan's character who doesn't really voice anything like that um of substance i feel like until the end when he's like yep i i'm never gonna know what this is like the end um yeah yeah that's uh, as much as i said i didn't want to get into armchair director mode here we are here i am i appreciate it because it very much does feel like they took the opportunity to define i mean it's like again it's like the butler's whole i guess pretty fateful in the end uh description of poverty as like not the absence of something but the presence of something that's not good i guess uh is a disease (laughs) a disease a, a plague as he says instead of showing us like a like they still choose to define poverty in opposition to the opulence of uh, Sullivan's lifestyle. Like we just see how ill he fits in that world. There's the scene where they get on the hobo train car and they can't really get on. And the, (laughs) he asks them how the, what they think of the job market, a bunch of like, Home, homeless people what they think of the job market now and like striking up they sound like cops <laughs> yeah it, it sounds like they're, uh, they're greetings greetings fellow poor person <laughs> exactly and it's like i mean it's it's like you said it's it's funny in the moment it's like oh clearly this isn't gonna work and they start sneezing because their immune systems aren't built up and it's like okay so this is an effective way to define the situation they're in in contrast to the situation but it feels like we never move beyond that like the only time we give voice to a life to a, to a lifestyle to it to a cast to a class that exists outside of sullivan and the girl and again i defined her in our summary as like closer to the poverty line than he is because she seems to just be like floating through life trying but not really with any stability she's not impoverished but anyway um the only time that we get an opposition to that is that's voiced is again the the uh, scenes in the black church is like and that's one character that actually like explains anything sort of describes what they're about and how they see the world and it's like let's let's not make judgments about them let's uh treat them equals as we are all in the sight of god etc but that's precious little that's not sullivan or somebody of his class explaining to us how impoverished, how impoverished people live. You know, like we see those fun vignettes of him losing his shoes and of the cameraman following them everywhere. Uh, and that sneezing scene that I was mentioning, but we don't see 
like I'm just echoing what you guys say, just with like my own color, we don't see that. Like there's no voice there, I guess. You already said the best, the best thing you said, there's no voice of poverty there. It's just like the voice of God explaining poverty to other gods, I guess. I really like what you said where you only see it in inverse, right? There, there's the great, there's the great gravity speech, right? There's the scene where he's like, yeah, it's almost like it's impossible to move to have class mobility. He basically says that in as many words, but we only see how it's difficult for the the high to go low, right? It's like, it would have, like, I think we're supposed to infer in this sort of obvious sense, and hey, maybe the 1941 audience was legitimately more class conscious than today's audience would be. That is very possible, especially coming out of the Great Depression. But it's like, yeah, dog, like, you think it's hard to go low, uh, from a high place. Imagine how hard it is to rise yeah. out of anything else. Especially like, like I think that I don't know exactly when this movie is set. I think it's contemporaneous in 1941, but it's like the Great Depression is like maybe the best example in certainly American history hmm. of the fact that class mobility just does not exist because there was just literally no way to make money. There was, it was just like, hey, like you have the money that you have and you slowly lose it over time unless you're rich enough to literally make movies. In which case you can sort of self-perpetuate because having that much money makes its own money. Um, and it's frustrating that like they, their sort of ultimate appeal and like maybe this is just sort of a pet peeve of mine because I come from like a church background, but like that whole um, like directionless appeal to generalized um, lack or non-judgmentalness is actually completely useless because like it, it is not saying that the system is wrong. It's not saying that these people didn't do anything wrong. What it's saying is that like, well, these people made mistakes and those mistakes are their fault. So it kind of makes sense that they are where they are, but you have to be a big person and be non-judgmental. You have to right? accept that, be tolerant of, of their right. mistakes. And, and like to elevate yourself, not to sort of like see them as human beings, but to make yourself feel good. Um, and like, that is just the essence of liberalism. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's Hollywood. So, like, what are you going to do? It's Hollywood 1941. Uh, I, it was... Yeah, yeah, I think that there's a lot of good things happening in this movie. It's just, you know, you take the good, you take the bad, you take the rest, and there you have um, the facts of Sullivan's Travels. <laughs> uh, and there you have my last discussion point. I wanted to open up the floor before we get to junk drawer. Is there anything else that anybody had rattling around in there before we get to those one-offs and fun other bits we like to call the junk drawer? I wish we could talk more about Veronica Lake, but like she's not in a lot. It's, of this it's very unfortunate that as much as we've said, like the fact that there's not much to say is kind of all that there is. Just like she's, she is what puts the ROM in this ROM com, you know, like they have that, cute scene by the pool where they decide to go back into you know the adventure of it all through the travels they're the best scenes in the movie for sure like right? she's, Their she's interactions. Really, that, like you were saying that um uh the the fucking diner scene where they start out that's incredible like that that repartee is very very good it's very fun back and forth they call donuts sinkers which i'm going to start doing uh i i love like her introduction and her whole character and her like attitude toward him doesn't need him kind of thing i love that and she's she acts the hell out of that scene and then when the you know, page turns and we have the third act where he uh, ends up on the chain gang and stuff. She's just gone until the end to welcome him back. It feels like they didn't have a place for him in the third act. So they just kind of put her away to wait for him to come. There's back. also the wildly weird marriage subplot 
Oh, where boy. it's just revealed that he he married a woman for tax purposes so that he could save money, <laughs> and it's like, bro, like even for 1941, that's that's kind of wild, that's my cool. dude. Yeah. Like, but uh, yeah, that was all weird, and like that was sort of the wrench that that kept them from having a traditional romance. But then he dies, and that's thrown out anyway. Yeah, and, um, just so I don't happens. know. That was that was all such a weird afterthought, and and such a specifically, uh, I, I it's so. It's so hypocritical, right? This idea that like, oh, like this rich dude is is manipulating the system for tax breaks um, and he's going to try to tell us about the common man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it, it's like I wish they would have dwelled on the fact that he's a fucking hypocrite a little bit. Yeah. More. Um, but instead, like, I think that like, maybe this is my last actual talking point then I'll shut up. But like, I think that maybe one of the big problems is that like the, the movie really wants you to love John Sullivan, right? Like if anything, he's sort of like a misguided uh, cute scamp. But like, I think we're supposed to feel about him the way Veronica Lake feels about him, right? We're like, we're just endlessly charmed by the fact that this genius, this talent wants to create something uh, like beautiful for the masses, even if he's going about it the wrong way, yeah. he still like has a beautiful soul. And it's like, eh, I don't know. The, uh, I don't know about that. I think there's a synopsis I was reading that describes him as um, a, a director with a heart of gold. And it's like, eh, he's really, he, right. he literally wants to make this as his masterpiece. He does not think that he wants to make something for the common man. He w- says that he wants to experience the struggles of poverty so that he can make a better movie. And it's like, I don't know if he ever ends up like, reneging on that idea i think he still ends up making a better movie just he realizes that his audience should be this to sort of like pity I mean, and, and and appease right? them more it's I, the more i think about it the more it feels like barton fink is a direct fucking response to this movie yeah <laughs> right it's like oh like you know that like the real directors writers are not john sullivan's they're barton finks it's like he's like a dude who is like very very condescending to the working class. Yeah. Not, not great. Johnny S. Uh, cool. Well, I, I got from the chat that Cody is also ready for junk Jordies. So yeah, let's do it at the one hour mark. Oh. I'm going to open up the door. Uh, enter sound effect. I should have. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I have a, wait, 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 wait. Uh, the junk drawer is, it's ringing. The junk drawer is ringing at the door. Oh, uh, hello. Yes, junk drawer. It's me, Cody. And this, um, dropping that. Uh, the one thing, just r- there it is. Uh, more like a you, you said. Uh, Sullivan had a, a heart of gold. Um, more like a fart of gold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, ching bling bling. Uh, shout out to Eric Blor Blory. I'm sorry, I don't know how you say his last name. He we gestured at all of the like Butler esque characters in this movie. It, Eric Bloor is specifically credited as Sullivan's valet. Um, I knew I recognized him. He's popped up in a lot of, um, he was in the lady Eve for one, and he's been in, or he was in a, a shitload of like Fred Astaire type movies. Usually hmm. um, at least in my, uh, in like the works that I've seen of him uh, playing a relatively valet esque character. Um, he's really good at that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Like a really fun flavor to add in sort of uh, as a side dish to like the driving um, through lines of a lot of these romantic comedies. Um, so yeah, he's, yeah, he's great. If you look through his filmography, there's a lot of fun stuff that he's, that he's been in. Um, and yeah, I always, I always like when I see him. So, so shout out to, to Mr. Blore. Um, I'm gonna go with Blore, Eric Blore. Blore. You you blew the the Blores off this off this thing. Mm. That's uh, part of gold, uh, let, Jason. Let nobody say that he was a uh, that he was Bloring. 
I don't know, man. I'm there. It's spent on the puns. Um, I'm trying to find the actual actor's name slash the character's name, but I mentioned Felix Bressert is essentially a character in this movie. He is the doctor who keeps attending to Sullivan uh, every time that he's like brought back into the Hollywood fold. Torben Mayer is the uh, actor's name Torben Mayer. in this one. Very, very much. Like I literally thought I was watching Felix Bressert again, a character from a bunch of um, uh, 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 Lubitsch, Ernst Lubitsch films, uh, a, recurring, ah. a recurring actor, um, including Shopper on the Corner and To Be or Not To Be, uh, just steals the scenes that he's in in those movies. And he's just this affable, kind, like always ready with a punchline, witty character that I feel like the doctor sort of fits in this movie. Uh, I just it just may be long for the presence of Felix Bressert again. I just want just, you know, feel like shit. Just need Felix Bressert again. Speaking of Lubitsch, he gets name dropped in this movie uh, in like such an that was wildly awesome. ostentatious fun. way that I was thinking like I almost started metagaming right where I was like, wait, does like does Preston Sturgis want Lubitsch to direct <laughs> Veronica Lake? Like, what is going on what, here? What, like, yeah. They're so open about it Stop and like this, this such fourth wall breaking way where she's like oh, can you get me a letter of introduction with Lubitsch? And then they have like an entire conversation where he's like, yeah, I have met Lubitsch. I actually could talk to him for you if you want me to. And it's like, all right, guys, like, what are you doing? Yeah, uh, it's good. I have two shout outs, I guess. One good shout out, one bad shout out, sort of in keeping with uh, the the movie. Um, good shout out. I love the scene with the van where he gets a ride from like this kid who just has this like terrifying what jalopy. Did you, what did you that- call it? With, with a whippet? tank cody was it i think yeah. i think the kid calls it a whippet tank yeah gotcha uh and he's just driving at like 100 miles an hour and like the the van is trying to keep up with him and it just keeps cutting to the inside of the van and everybody in the van is just getting absolute <laughs> shit kicked out of them right like they're just flying around this place it looks like there would be multiple fatalities everybody's screaming uh that's a very funny scene scene i didn't like very much just because it kind of strains credulity, but like the whole scene in the courtroom <laughs> was just very funny to me and like not really in the way that it was intended where like John Sullivan can't literally can't answer the court's questions because he's so concussed and it shows like this like concussion vision throughout the entire scene and nobody seems to like care at all that like <laughs> it's it's like they're like we're holding you in contempt if you don't answer these questions it's like bro like he's basically about to throw up he's so he's like oh, what you don't know your own name what are you yeah. a big dummy are you <laughs> right. stupid and it's like okay like i get that like that's the point right it's supposed to be a kangaroo court like now that he's not john sullivan nobody cares about him they just are looking to throw him away and everything but like even for that that and like the scene where it turns out that the same guy who robbed him was the guy who robbed him later. And so he had the boots and like all of it, like you had said early on, Jason, like it feels like the movie wakes up and realizes that it has to have a plot like a half hour before the movie's over. And it's like, Oh shit. Now we got to like make all of this happen. So we're sending John Sullivan to jail. And it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. But I guess like I'm, I'm along for the ride. Uh, so yeah, I don't, not crazy about those parts, I guess. Although they were sort of inadvertently funny. They were, uh, out of the things that are inadvertently funny. Um, I hear you mentioned the chase scene, which it has like a verifiable chase scene in this movie. A lot of the backgrounds are like, you know, on a wrapper roll, whatever they call those in the industry where it looks like foliage and landscape going by. And it's just the inside of the bus is going elsewhere, but clearly they like jerked people around and threw people around in this like model bus set. Very, very funny that it's like they dedicated it to that long. Cause it's like four minutes straight of people just getting their shit rocked. Um, 
you see like a, a close up of the inside of the whippet tank that they're driving in front and just the speedometer is crayoned on always a very good bit it's just numbers that the kid has drawn onto this cardboard uh, like dashboard there's slow-mo in that scene i was obsessed with how like strangely actiony that scene there's literal like they they slowed down the 30 frames per second the scenes for like two or three seconds at a time for it to like go over a hill or whatever and it just like j- 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 like judders yeah i don't think i've ever seen slow-mo in a movie and that old in that sequence and in a couple of other sequences there's like i don't know what you like fast mo maybe but like they, they oh, clearly yeah. speed up the reels to make them look like buster keaton characters or something yeah. right like when they jump off the train and they're like ah, and you can see their legs like are going <laughs> flying at like a million miles an hour and that happens in a couple of different parts and like Wow, it's so funny. It is. That's like such an easy effect, but it works on me every single time. It's very good. Uh, the other like thing that threw me for how like modern it felt was the scene. I forget it's the same the one you're talking about, Harry, where they go to the movie theater and they're watching a movie, or he's watching a movie anyway, um, with the old maids who have the farmhouse that he's been working at. Uh, and there's like you know kids crying and a guy eating nuts, and like the camera instead of like cutting to him and showing like a really goofy uh, angle of him, just very slowly like a deadpan pan to that guy felt like something that would happen in a movie literally this year, and it would still be fucking funny because it's it's very good. Well, and. Especially, like, it's such a, like, I think that the humor in this really works when it's, like, very clearly almost an autobiographical director movie, right? Where it's like, oh, like, this is how it feels to be a director and to walk into a movie theater and and see people watch your movie. It's like, yeah, a woman brought her seven kids and they're all crying and throwing shit everywhere. And at the end, they're like, I didn't really get it. I didn't really like it. And you're like, ah, you know, but, you know, very good. It's hilarious uh harry or sorry cody i brought up the the shot of joseph the farm guy who keeps that keeps changing each time he looks just a little bit shittier in the portrait again always a good bit full of bits weirdly for a movie that changes completely at the, at the third act uh and then the last thing i want to bring up and it's our last i think it's our last episode before the end of the year before our end of year berries we got to talk about is there a little freak in this movie and can i propose that the bespectacled guy in the chain gang who has best friends with the blowtorch killer and he clips out pinups and stuff is he a little freak and if he is oh is man he the that blowtorch killer joke is so Very good. good that's a really they really Murderers nailed that one <laughs> i had a friend once yeah. oh man is, a really good friend of mine they called him the blowtorch <laughs> killer <laughs> i feel like if there is a little freak in this movie it's probably him unless because we don't stick with very many characters for yeah. a, like like a long enough time to get a sense of what their little freakiness quotient for is sure. like uh, their lfq so to speak hmm. whoa is this um, a new metric we're coming up anything, with at the end of the year this might be a movie about how you can't you can't become a little freak right you Ooh. can't like you can't make yourself a little freak it's just something that happens to you uh, it's and something frankly, that, my dear, I'm never going to understand what being a little freak, a little freak is like. Is. That's the last line of the movie. Like, literally, and I can't he, believe we haven't talked so about true, it. It's so true, right? Like he's big and barrel chested and handsome. I missed one of the lines, but this movie actually says to the memory of those who made us laugh, the motley mountebanks, the clowns, the little freaks, the buffoons in all times and in all nations. Wow. How did I miss that in my summary? I really got to get Aaron back for this. Sometime. Is this our movie of the year? Maybe Coming in uh, under the little freak movie of the mm-hmm. year. Uh, I guess we'll talk about it. <laughs> well, that was the end of what I call the junk drawer. It's where we put all the things that we could not discuss in the main discussion of the movie. Uh, at minute one ten, roughly after I ended in the uh, theme song and stuff, we have the final segment of our show, which uh, I will help. I will allow Harry to help me introduce. Oh, would you be so kind? Yes. Thank you. It is the segment that we like to call. <gasps> Cody's Cody's noties. Wow. Thank you, gentlemen, for that um, enriching introduction. I probably hmm. used enriching before. Um, in any case, uh, today's segment, 
is uh, it's going to have a bit of a wind up. So, uh, so bear with me. The, the, I'll, I'll start with a little background about me. The way that I first heard about the movie Sullivan's Travels uh, was back. I was in high school. Uh, I heard about it through the American Film Institute's 100 Years 100 Movies list um, of their top whatever top 100 films <laughs> top whatever it's canonically 100 films uh, it was 2007 and sullivan's travels was on that year's version of the list and the 2007 list was actually uh like the whole thing was this is a 10th anniversary release based off of the original afi top 100 movies that came out in 1998 which sounds more like a ninth anniversary release to me but in any case the big takeaways uh from this are afi uh, the film guild not the band released a top mm. 100 movie list in 1998 and then another one in 2007 to reflect changing sensibilities over the years so that's that's our baseline with all that being said uh <laughs> today we're gonna ride the bus that's what i'm leading with so uh if you're like me and have gotten drunk with uh, groups of people who have access to a deck of cards um especially if you're like in the midwest i feel like uh, maybe it's a big thing everywhere you undoubtedly have a frame of reference for what riding the bus entails if you don't have that background google it sometime and you'll get a better breakdown than what i can provide here uh, boiling it down for our purposes today this is a game that um that each of the two of you will play one at a time um We'll go Should in alphabetical order. Uh, you're probably better off without the beer. Um, first, I have just, water. Uh, be, I'll just need to pee at the end. Uh, yeah. Oh, and that's uh, that's the greatest punishment uh, of all is is urination as a result <laughs> of of not getting the game quite right. Um, but we'll do we'll do Jason then Harry. Um, uh, alphabetical by last name order was the ordering that I came up with before I came up with the bit, and so we'll do that. Um, you, so whoever's up, that person will continue to play until they have successfully ridden the bus uh, for each turn, whenever necessary. Keying off the 2007 AFI Top 100 Movies list, um, and you'll—I know you—if you're listening, you can't hear me, but I'm going very clearly off my notes because this is more convoluted than it needs to be. But keying off the 2007 AFI Top 100 Movies list, I will use a random generator to select a movie from the 2007 list, kind of like in in real life, riding the bus, you're drawing a card. I'll use a random generator to select a movie from the 2007 list. Using those, um, excuse me, those random generations, we will ride the bus. And to do so, you'll need to successfully complete four steps all in a row. So the first step is determine if the movie that I randomly generate um, that I give you is uh, was or wasn't also on the 1998 AFI list. Um, so it's king of the 2007 list. Step one, was it or was it not on the 1998 list? I'll say right now, 77 of the 100 movies on the 2007 list are also on the 1998 list. Damn. So you have that. You have that going in. Um, if you get this right, then for the second step, I'll generate another movie. And for the second movie, you'll need to determine if that movie has a higher rank or a lower rank on the 2007 list than the first movie I gave you. Uh, and if you get that right, for the third step, I'll generate a third movie. And you'll need to determine if that movie is ranked inside or outside the range covered by the first Jesus. two movies. And then if you get this right, uh, then for the fourth step, I'll generate a fourth movie and you'll need to determine if that movie is ranked within the first quartile of the list. So numbers one through 25, the second quartile, 26 through 50, the third quartile or the fourth quartile. I, I, I realize I just said a lot of words. Don't worry if you don't have those steps memorized. I'll point you in the right, right direction okay. as we go. A few final disclaimers um, because I need to throw more words at you and, and bog this down even more. Um, number one, use your noodles, not your Googles. Hopefully it goes without saying, but uh, if you look up these AFI lists while playing, that is cheating and I'll never forgive you. 
secondly, we'll cap this at five tries per person. I imagine there's going to, you know, in real life, riding the bus, you're just flipping cards. It's very easy. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how we get with, with five tries per person. And that leads into the last point that I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> uh, but by design, riding the bus in the drinking game sense uh, is not something that is uh, accessible or especially easy to do. Um, yeah. It usually takes a little while. Um, so I've tried to make the difficulty level comparable rather than making this easier. Um, and we'll see if that's a good decision or not. We'll see how this goes. Before we jump in, are there any questions from either of you? Uh, Cody, I'd just like to congratulate you. I think that this is the first time we've used the word quartile on the podcast. <laughs> I believe so. Is this 202 or 203 episodes? 205, 205 episodes? Really? Holy shit. Uh, yeah, so congrats for that. I didn't... Uh, I don't think that there are many words we haven't used at this point, <laughs> but I, that is almost certainly one of them. Yeah, I dropped quotient earlier too. That also feels like it maybe fulfilled that definition. Um, I, mean, I mean, I think that there's a non-zero chance you have used the word quotient before. Yeah, you're not I wrong. don't think quartile was ever used, even by you. Sweet. And I'm only halfway sure that I used it in the prop- proper sense. Um, I could have just said quarter, but I said quartile instead. Aren't I? <laughs> I'm a pretentious douchebag. Ah! But we, <laughs> we'll, we'll move forward. Um, any other any other questions or, or comments um, before we jump in? That was a really good comment. Are you going to name this segment or uh, do you already have one picked up? Um, I, just said, I just said ride the bus. Um, okay. Try loves uh, travels. Ri- ride the bus. Try uh, loves tra- travels. Yeah, riding the bus—that's actually a, a pretty good through line. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, travel. I'll do that. I'll call riding it riding the that. bus. Um, ride the bus. AFI version. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. I, I've, yeah, I put way too much thought into barely coming up with a game using existing source material to think of uh, a name for the show notes. Um, so I'll, I'll defer that to you. you Appreciate you're, it. You're good at that. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Well, um, if we're ready, I'll go ahead. I'll hop in here. Um, Again, we'll see how this goes. Jason, I believe you are up first. Um, I'm going to randomly generate the the first movie. And so for you, Jason, um, first step, this movie that I've generated for you is uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Is To Kill a Mockingbird also on the 1998 list or is it not? I will say it is. Alrighty, and it is. Yes. Uh, it indeed is. So moving along to the, I haven't, I didn't actually beta test this, so I'm trying to get into the flow here. Okay, we've got the second movie. Writing it down because I, so I don't forget it because uh, I'm me. And so we've got the second movie, which is uh, the Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring. Is that ranked higher or lower on the 2007 list with regards to, um, with regards to kill? Uh, with regards to To Kill a Mockingbird. I will say that it is ranked lower than To Kill a Mockingbird on the 2007 list. Uh, you said it's ranked lower, and it is indeed ranked lower. Halfway so step there, baby. Two, step two complete. Let me generate a third movie here. Is Jason going to get it? Does it? What if I right. get what it? If he does? Maybe, yeah. What if he does? All right, I've got... I've got the third movie here. The third movie is The Bridge on the River Kwai. And so question for you, Jason, is The Bridge on the River Kwai ranked in between To Kill a Mockingbird and Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring within the range created by those two movies, or is it ranked outside? So either higher than both of them or lower than both of them. Hmm. I'm going to say it is between those two. All right. Jason says between. It is indeed between. Oh. So right. that's the pressure's on here. Let's We've completed ses- successfully go. completed. Oh, three dude, steps. you're almost home. You've got this. Harry is pumping right. up way too high for me to get this right. <laughs> and now I'm so looking. 
I'm look at, uh, looking at, I got the fourth movie pulled up here. It is the Shawshank Redemption. Oh shit. So the question for you, Jason, which, uh, which quartile, which quartile, uh, is this ranked in on the 2007 list? The first 25, second 25, third 25, or fourth 25? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this last question was going to be where is the original movie, mm-hmm. uh, to kill a mockingbird, which would have been much easier would than have been this much one. Much easier than this <laughs> one. I apologize. You maybe don't have this, Jason. I might not have this, Jason. Uh, can I go for the second? Uh, quartile. So I'd get that, that's 25 through uh, 50? 26 through 50. 26 through 50. I'm going to say it's second, in the 26 second through 50 on the, 20, on the 2007 list. All right. We got it locked in for the, the second quartile, uh, and that is incorrect. Oh, I, so far. Well, I, and got so far. Yeah. But in the end, yeah. I'll just say that so it's far. wrong. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you're not going to tell us? You have to tell us. No, I don't. What if he, yeah, don't what to, if he randomly generates the, the same movie later? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, fair. right. That's yeah. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of. I, I'll keep it brief, but there was a, in order to try and like match the difficulty level. I was, I was like, oh, what are what sorts of things can I give out? But then I think ultimately giving out more information skews it more towards easier than like tried and true riding the bus. Again, this is all this is all good data for if we ever do this in the future. Um, we'll we'll see how that goes. But that that was the first trial run, um, Jason. You we'll, we'll start again from scratch. Um, trial of twenty twenty three, the year of the bus. The year of the bus. <laughs> Are there any buses yeah. in Looper? Uh, we'll find out. Uh, ooh, that's. I wonder if there are any buses in the rover. If a bus you know is that a, there are, a titular there, the rover, there are a buku fucking buses in Mad Max Fury Road. We don't even need to ask. A lot, that. lot of buses Holy in that movie. Shit. Yep, and in War of the Worlds as well, if I remember correctly. Ooh. There is definitely a bus in that movie, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I don't remember. I think so. I think Cody is oh, ready shit. to get round two. <laughs> It, will Jason be on that bus? Who's to say? We'll find out Ooh. shortly. Uh, your new movie, Jason, for the first phase of this is Vertigo. Was Vertigo on the 1998 list or not? Uh, hell fucking yeah, Vertigo was on that list. And indeed it was. So that is uh, step one completed for Jason. Let's get these. Let's draw another card here. Let's get the second movie. And we've got Sophie's Choice. Ah, fuck. Sophie's Choice. Is that ranked higher or lower than Vertigo? I will say it's ranked lower. And you would be correct. Indeed it is. All right, all right, all right. Um, and this is a roguelike. I think we're playing a roguelike uh, right now. I don't know the meaning of the word. I'm generating a third movie here and we've got Gone with the Wind. So Gone with the Wind, Jason, is that ranked between the range uh, put to, uh, composed by Vertigo and Sophie's Choice or is it ranked or yeah, is it ranked outside there? Inside or outside? You, you know what I mean. I'll say it's ranked outside. Jason says that it's ranked outside, and he's correct. It's so not, it must be higher than third phase vertigo. I gotta assume, but anyway, I'm, uh, I'm hey, the only time we'll tell. list. Ooh, that's interesting. Uh, and for our last movie of this round, uh, we'll see if we'll see if Jason can can get it squared away. We've got a streetcar named Desire. So, which quartile does that fall in? The first, second, third, or fourth on this 2007 list? I think I undervalued Shawshank, so I'm going to not undervalue Streetcar, and I'm going to say it's in the first quartile. Jason says it's in the first quartile, and it is not. Oh God, how did I do this twice in the a first? Row. Back to the first bus stop. The, I mean, the the thing about the fourth one is it's just you're, you've got a 25% chance of getting it damn right. It, it's damn it, damn it, harder than all can the I, other steps. Can I ask yeah, about ahead. Vertigo or? 
Wait, is nope. are we still in? Okay. Uh, the one question, yeah, the, the one que- uh, question I can answer about Vertigo is yes, it is directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, Very great question, shit, Harry. Shit. Um, uh, I thought yeah, so is that we'll James Stewart in that one? It is James Stewart. Here's the thing: you look up Jimmy Stewart, <laughs> Google will autocorrect it back to James Stewart. He's credited as James Stewart everywhere. There's not a hyperlink on any re- reputable site that says, "Oh, you want to look up uh, information about Jimmy Stewart?" Oh, yeah. This is a this is a rare He's case. Poker buddy, a rare case. <laughs> this poker buddy, a rare case in which I wish we were recording video. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, and it is a w- one of uh, all the cases where I'm glad that we don't. Um, case number three, Jason, the movie I have for you is City Lights. Was City Lights on the 1998 version of this list or not? I don't know what City Lights is. I'm, I'm a fool. Um, the AFI list stands for a fucking idiot list, and it's me. Um, I'm going to say that it was not on that list, that it was not on the 1998 list. Jason is going with not, and he is incorrect. Ah, it was it was indeed game. on that list. On is that a to number movie? four. Um, I oh, will I say, God, I can't ask questions. Sorry, no, I, I will. I listen. I I gave you director for Vertigo. The director of City Lights is is Charlie Chaplin. That's what I thought. Um, okay, so, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so moving along, you've got two more attempts here. Uh, two more rounds, sessions, rides, whatever you want to call it. Uh, looking up the movie, we've got One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Was that on the 1998 list or not? Oh, hell yeah. He says, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and I say, oh, hell yeah, it is. Uh, so we're moving along to the second movie. And I'm going through the list. And I've got Easy Rider here. So easy rider. Will Jason be an easy rider in this case by getting oh. it right uh, as to whether or not this was higher or lower? Easy rider because of the we'll bus. find out in a few moments. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, yeah. l- that easy rider is lower than one flu. Uh, Jason's going with lower, and he is correct. Uh, it is indeed lower. So we'll move on to the third movie. I've got the movie pulled up here, and the movie is A Streetcar Named Desire. Fuck. Is that is that uh, between Ooh. One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest and Easy Rider? Uh, in- inside or outside, I guess I should say. One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest has to be pretty high, and if Streetcar isn't in the first percentile, I'm going to say it's between those two. All right, Jason is going with between, and he is correct. So moving along to right. the really smart. And, and good final showing st- your work there, Jason. <laughs> thank you, by thank the you, way, that you. was good data. <laughs> yep, show, show, showing work data. Who's who is the stats major? You guys have learned so much. You've come so far, um, and Jason has come so far in this game as he receives the apartment as his final entry. So the apartment is that uh, which quartile is that in? I'll, I'll keep the question simple. Which quartile of this list is that in? First, second, third, fourth? Oh my god. I'm going to go second quartile. Second quartile. I feel like it's a top 25 and, and then feeling like America doesn't agree with me. And America does not agree with you. It is not in the second Fuck. quartile. I, so it's, moving it's along. Gotta be, I think it's in like the top 10. The it's probably like oh. super up there. Ah, okay. Moving along to the, the, the last attempt for Jason to ride this particular bus, Bussy. the AFI bus. Is he, is he bussing? I mean, he's come pretty close uh, in his previous Let it not attempts. be said that Jason's not bussing. Yes. Um, <laughs> don't worry. Nobody, nobody will say anything to the contrary. <laughs> uh, Bonnie and Clyde is the, the first movie that I present to you. Was this on the 1998 list or was it not? Yes. Uh, indeed it was. Moving along. 
to the second movie. So first step, Aced. Second step, we've got Annie Hall as the second movie. Was Annie Hall ranked higher or lower on the 2007 list uh, with regards to Bonnie and Clyde? I will say uh, higher, higher than Bonnie and Clyde. Higher than Bonnie and Clyde. That is indeed correct. Moving along to step number three. And let's see here. Um, I've got, uh, I've got Annie Hall. Is that, uh, <laughs> is that, you, need to you know what? I'm just, I'll just rerun it. I, I in my <laughs> rules, I didn't account for the fact that it, I don't know, they're built in, they're built in constructs yeah, to, yeah. to ride the bus that I overlooked with regards to it being on, on the edge. So I'm going to generate a new movie. Appreciate it. We'll, we'll go that route. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. Of course. I appreciate it too. Um, fewer, uh, instructional gymnastics that I have to go through. Uh, the movie that I have for you now is high noon is high noon within the range, uh, uh, put together by the previous two movies, Bonnie and Clyde and Annie Hall. Is it within that range or is it outside that range? I think it's outside that range. And I think you're right. In fact, I know you're right. And so moving along to step number four, the fourth and final step of the day for Jason Daphnis, the movie I have for you is Raging Bull. That was Raging Bull in the first quartile, second quartile, third quartile, or fourth quartile of this list. And I'm going to say quartile a little less uh, going forward in my life because this is a lot. If it's not first quartile, I'm. Uh, it's per- I say first quartile. Jason is saying first quartile, and he is correct. It is indeed Ooh. in the first quartile. Nailed it! Nice. Bus ridden. Nice. Only took me five tries. Uh, Jason, J- Hey, Ed, honestly, I, again, with me not knowing how this is going to go, I think five tries is is pretty darn acceptable. Um, I, th- I think 50 <laughs> tries is pretty darn acceptable. Pretty yeah. good soundbite as well. I, listeners, I don't know if this is fun for you, but I'm having a blast. This was, the, this, riding the bus is very fun, fun because it builds hype with every correct answer. It, you know what yeah, I mean? Right. There's like a really good excitement. It's very stressful Builder. on this end, but uh, I look forward to being a, an audience member rather than a participant in the next round. So I, I cleared it. If yeah. Harry clears it once, does that mean we we tie? Uh, I mean, it just... No, I, I think mean, I, I mean, need to do it faster than you, right? I oh, need to do right. it fewer okay, tries. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Harry's got five tries here. Um, we'll, we'll pivot to that right away. So moving right over, Harry, the first movie I got for you is To Kill a Mockingbird. Was that on the 1998 list or was it not? It was. Uh, was it? It was. Yeah, absolutely. So Harry is moving along to the second step here. And I'm just getting my bearings with the second movie. I've got Modern Times here. So was Modern Times ranked higher or lower on the 2007 list with regards to uh, to, to Kill a Mockingbird? Oh, man. Um, I think I'm going to go lower. All right. Harry is going lower. And he's correct. So we'll move along to the third movie here. Boop, 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 boop. I've got a third movie, and it is The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Now, does The Treasure of the Sierra Madre rank within the range comprised by the previous two movies or or outside? So what what we got To Kill a Mockingbird and Modern Times. Inside that range or outside that range? I'm going to say it's inside that range. You're going to say inside, and you're going to be right. And... Moving along to, it has to, to be step- super, super close to Mockingbird, but like a little bit below it, I would imagine. Sorry, I'm not calling. 
I know. Hey, um, gotta shoot your shot now. Feel free to ch- to check the list after we're done recording. All of these will be on the record for the entire world. Um, and also, hey, like you said, showing showing your work. I legitimately like to hear everybody's thought processes as as we go through these, as we get into the the fourth step. And Harry, your movie is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, which quartile of the list does Raiders of the Lost Ark? lion my old nemesis <laughs> uh i'll go with the um shit first quadrant man fuck it harry's going with first and it's a swing and a miss oh, it's a swing and a miss me. big daddy are you kidding um oh god i'm not kidding i i cannot kid that's a rule that i impose for myself i cannot make these I up as smarter we go. than Here's i gave co- him credit for <laughs> <laughs> Uh, moving along to for Harry's second ride, I've got the Grapes of Wrath as the first movie. Uh, was this or was this not on the the previous 1998 version of the list? I believe it was. Yes, uh, I believe it was as well. So we'll we'll move along to to the second step. It was. I just like saying that that I think so. Um, the next movie we've got is E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Is this ranked higher or lower than the Grapes of Wrath on the 2007 list? <laughs> Man, how the fuck should I know? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's the game. I know. I know is rhetorical. I I'm gonna say lower. I guess uh, lower. He guesses. That's uh, a correct guess. So uh, we'll move along to the third movie. The third movie we have here is. Oh, it happened one night. Um. So it happened wow. one night. Does this rank? In the range comprise, I keep wanting to say comprise. The range uh, where the book ends are the Grapes of Wrath and ET the Extraterrestrial. Is it inside that range or outside that range? Fuck. Um, I'm going to say inside. Harry's going to say inside, and he's going to be wrong. And oh. we're going to move along to the third ride as he takes a drink of absinthe or, or water or coffee or um this this isn't a drinking game it doesn't have to be although if you're listening to this at home maybe you chose to do that and i think you're all the better for it probably uh harry intolerance is the first movie of this next round was this or was this not on the previous version of the afi list intolerance yes the answer we were looking for is no, it was not. Whoa. So moving along to Harry's Harry's fourth ride, um, the the Harry Mackin story. I just it's a name for your your biopic incoming. You can use that if you want to. Um, the next uh, the next first movie for your fourth ride is The Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring. Was this or was this not on the 1998 version of this list? Oh man, I'm really showing my ass here. Um, I'm going to say no. And you will be correct. Because it didn't come along. out in 1998. It came out later than that, right? We'll move along to, the, again, I can only give director's info, nothing else. It is, came out in the- 2001, <laughs> I think. Anyway, go ahead. That's fine. Yeah, no, you're, you're totally correct. The second movie is, uh, is Pulp Fiction. So we've got Pulp Fiction here. Is this ranked higher or lower on the 2007 list compared to Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring? Um, higher? Uh, the answer we were looking for is lower. Uh, lower is what we were looking for. And we'll head into Harry's last ride. Um, the biopic follow-up to Harry's next ride or whatever I called the previous one. We've got our last ride of the day here. 
a lot of pressure. Um, Jason got it in five tries. Let's see if Harry can match that. Um, the movie I have for you, Harry, is American Graffiti. Was American Graffiti on the 1998 list, uh, or was it not? These movies are much harder than the ones Jason Yeah, somehow got. you got Pulp Fiction versus Lord of the Rings, and I do not... Also, what did fucking Return of the King come out in 2007 or something? Like, I get it, AFI, but like, all right. Uh, Okay, I'm going to go that it was on the list. Here he's going with was as he takes shots at a, checks my notes, random number generator. (laughs) Um, Random number generators everywhere, catching strays. Hey, listen, man, I play a lot of tactics games. This is not new for me. (laughs) Oh, oh, hey, get a load of this tough guy. He plays a lot of tactics games. Um, You got it right, though, so we'll generate a second movie. Um, I've been saying a lot of words here, and ultimately I just the the words just get more and more unhinged as we go. And ultimately, Harry, I want to see you succeed, and so I'm going to give you Platoon. Hopefully that's a step in the right direction. Now, is Platoon ranked higher or lower with regards to American Graffiti on this list? I think I'll go higher. You'll go higher, and you will regrettably be incorrect. Um, And that's... Hey, Hey, that's all right. The bus uh, has come in. I do concede that your your strength of schedule. Um, there's another phrase that has not been uttered on this podcast before. Your strength of schedule uh, was uh, was probably more difficult than Jason's, but that is the the luck of the the draw as far as buses and bus stations go. More um, objectionable decisions on my part are on AFI's part uh, during mine as well. Yeah, I think. It, really, it really is. Uh, that's a power structure we need to dismantle. Why are we fighting each other instead of just dismantling AFI as a concept? That's you know? beautiful, Jason. You that's ultimately win, the so conclusion. I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. That is ultimately the conclusion that I wanted us to come through uh, to, to come to. And I'm glad that we said it in the last like 30 seconds of this game, much like how they said the thesis of Sullivan's travels in the last 30 seconds of that movie. Um, um, this is, I guess, pop off time for for Jason. I guess if you had anything else that that you wanted to like say, champion. I, of I defeated a comrade. I didn't defeat, defeat an enemy. Why did I? Why would I uh, mm. celebrate fighting a friend? You know, uh, it's it's real Greek shit here. Um, I regrettably accept the this Greeks first place. Famously, never celebrated fighting their friends. No, uh, no internecine conflict in Greece. <laughs> the Peloponnesian what? Uh, thank you, Cody. This was a wonderful time. Uh, I will simply celebrate communally. It was very much fun. I It was a lot of fun as a, as a spectator as well. I hope we get to do another uh, Try Loves Travels version of Ride the Bus, uh, maybe for a different movie. This does, uh, you know, Cody, your, uh, our dearly departed Aaron Grossman would be fucking going nuts over this too. He would have so much fun with this increasing levels of hype. He would also probably break out uh, Malort or some other god-awful substance to actually play the game alongside. But uh, for me, for tonight, it was a wonderful way to spend part of the afternoon. Thank you, Cody. Uh, listener, you can uh, catch up to uh, uh, Prototypes for the Rom-Com by listening to our episodes and catching those movies. I've left archive.org links for, I think, all of them so far. So no excuse not to check them out if you have a good internet connection. Um, but you have one last film as of the publishing of this episode. One last film actually playing as part of that series at the Trilon. Uh, it's called Ball of Fire, just written, directed by Howard Hawks with Gary Cooper, Barbara Stanwyck, and somebody named Oscar Homolka. I do not know who that is, but I'll bet it's a wonderful, fun time. It's playing on the 30th of December. Check it out. And then once you're done there, check out the Trilon's uh, programming schedule, their calendar, pick up one of those cool pamphlets they've got at the Trilon, pick up a piece of merch, give them your money somehow. Uh, it's a great 
way to support independent cinema and some cool artistic projects going on here in the Twin Cities. So if you're in town, uh, go there. If you're not, find us on Twitter at Trial of Podcast. Find the trial on a trial in cinema. Email us at trialofpodcast at gmail.com and find me, Jason Daphnis, winner of the inaugural uh, Trial of Travels uh, Ride the Bus competition uh, at Nintendoofus on Twitter. Full disclosure, I drove that bus a few moments ago. I don't even have a license for it. <gasps> um, yeah, uh, watch Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Watch The Lady Eve. Um, and I guess sort of stray, more unorthodox shout out for us, but um, friend of the pod and previous guest on the pod many, many years ago, um, decades ago, generations ago, um, or like a couple years ago, uh, Andy Smith over at the Great Duck Theater and Coffee House in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, great selection of, of movies uh, down there uh, in Rochester. If you're from those parts or listening to this from my hometown for some reason, um, just a specific shout out for the phantom carriage which which is showing on friday december 30th it's um you know from many it's from it's from a while ago so you know if we if you had fun listening to us talking about different filmmaking sensibilities now um honey you've got a big storm coming uh, be, uh but the phantom carriage is is great it's very um it's a it is like a canonical new year's movie um and i know it's one that um aaron grossman uh who is is on this podcast usually not this week uh he also will will vouch for that movie um so yeah that that's just yeah straight shout out um or if you're if you watch the if you watch that movie the phantom carriage through some other means you rent it you stream it uh, and you're able to to you know buy a ticket but not actually go to the movie i'm i'm sure they would appreciate that over there so shout outs to andy smith and gray duck um i think i've said enough i have been cody narvison uh you can find me on twitter not driving a bus at cody underscore bh yeah uh huge shout outs to gray duck and to andy smith that's a really good shout out and to the phantom carriage i'm actually pretty upset we don't get to do an episode on that because i would really like to talk about that movie it looks awesome uh but it is the end of the year and so like we have a lot of scheduling um complications so that didn't work out uh similarly shout outs to the red shoes which is the unfortunate um taker of the uh um prize if you want to call it that uh that that has gone to many a great yeah make a great film in the past including personal favorite paris texas uh we are not recording on the red shoes because we will be recording uh the golden berries that uh week so apologies to all my uh red shoes heads out there i know that there are uh legion of you um but not this year maybe next year um for the red shoes i've been harry mack and you can find me on twitter at shiitakeary more like dread shoes am i right you know the nice thing about buying food for a man is that you don't have to laugh at his jokes just think if you were some big shot like a casting director i'd be staring into your bridge work saying yes mr smearcase no mr smearcase not really mr smearcase oh mr smearcase that's my knee give mr smearcase another cup of coffee make it two want a piece of pie